Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Nana Visitor from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you like what we're serving here at the Sci-Fi Diner, feel free to leave us a tip at patreon.com backslash sci-fi, spelled the right way, and by Audible. Get a free audiobook when you sign up today, audibletrial.com backslash sci-fi diner. Engage. Science fiction is an existential metaphor. It allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, where we serve up interviews, news, and our view on the world of science fiction. Come, grab a chair, and enjoy the conversations. I'd say we've got an unexpected guest. Rose, we're doing we don't need. Rose. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm your roving car-driving reporter, M. Zero Garcia. It is true. It is true. And my son, <laughs> Kiefer, might be joining us here in just a little bit. Oh, I hear him pounding up the stairs right now. <laughs> yeah, oh, right now. You can sit down. You have headphones there, buddy. Thanks. Hi, little dude. Can't hear you. Hi, Kiefer. Those. He needs to put on his headphones. Okay. Breakfast. Hey. Hey. Don't do that. Hey, little dude. Hey, big dude. Big dude? <laughs> <laughs> big dude? Uh, all right. Hey, all right. Uh, Hello. So what we're going to do here is uh, we'll tell you. I-, I will sing when it's your turn to talk, okay? You're going to sing when it's my turn to I talk? I am. I'm going to sing. I'm going to break out in song. <laughs> it is your turn to okay. talk. I will not do that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Boy. I know. It's going to be one of those shows. So anyways, welcome to tonight's show. I want to give a special thanks for tonight's episode to Mike Crate, who has who has uh, supported us on Twitter and promotes us actively on Twitter. So thank you for that. Also want to just put buddy. a dis- Yeah. I just also want to just put a disclaimer out for anyone listening to the show. We're going to spoil Solo. We're going to talk Spoiler. about it spoils. So please, if you have not seen Solo and you're planning on seeing it, stop the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the show. Yes. All right. So, Miles, uh, give us a short synopsis of the show. Okay. So, Solo, a Star Wars story with the emerging demand of hyperfuel and other resources, Han Solo finds himself in the middle of a heist alongside other criminals where they meet the likes of Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian in an adventurous situation exposing the criminal underworld of the Star Wars saga. Sounds phenomenal. And uh, real quickly, before we delve into like our reactions to it, how did this movie do this weekend, Miles? Well, at the... The stats as of um, uh, May 29th, uh, the domestic total is, correction, May 28th, uh, $103 million, uh, foreign uh, about $65 million. So we're talking so far um, just under $170 million. Yeah. Certainly for Disney, this is not a huge opening. So we're delving into a whole new universe oh. here. Um. We're Go delving ahead, into a M. whole new universe. 
and the diehards went to go see it. But then I would say 50% of the diehards were in it and 50% of the diehards were like, nope, not, not interested, not going to even try and go there. Um, and I get it after literally just finishing watching it like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> it's true. I can, I can see that. Um, I'm disappointed uh, that it's not doing better, but it's an, it's an unknown entity. We, we know who Han Solo is, but like, this is, this is all new fiction for us. So it's, it's waiting for people to embrace what Ron Howard puts on the screen. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of redemptive qualities to it that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Um, but I agree. And I have, I had some, uh, some guy, Sean Kennedy, a friend of mine said, well, it's going to make its budget. It's going to bake its budget. It's going to be a slow burn. and It's going to gain momentum, he thinks. And, mm-hmm. and uh, Memorial Day weekend is a time, apparently, I've heard so- someone was saying that Memorial Day weekend is a day that is a weekend that Disney puts movies that are, they don't think are going to do well, but put it out of Memorial Day. And, uh, and I think that it's going to gain some momentum in the long run. It's going to make its money back. Yeah, it'll make. So. Oh, yeah. In one weekend. Right. This is going to be, this is going to be a cult classic. This is going to, it'll make its money in rentals and DVD and Blu-ray sales, and it's, it's a, it's different. Yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's, it's an. I mean, it literally is an in-between Star Wars movie, but like, it's not as heavy and dark as the new trilogies. Um, it's not as um, actiony and nuanced as the first trilogy. Um, it's certainly not as bad as the trilogy we, of which we do not speak. Right, um, right. <laughs> um, yeah. But it should be interesting. I it should be interesting. Yeah. This is Kiefer's Corner on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Well, why don't we delve into some of our initial thoughts about the movie? And Kiefer, I think, wanted to share one thing that he really liked about the movie. Do you want to talk about that? Speak. Uh, can you? One of the things I really liked about the movie was the fact that. They went into so much depth and detail and like everything. It was incredible. Like the cards. Um, it was the cards. The Sabat cards? The Sabat cards. The Millennium Falcon. The Escape Pod. They went into so much depth and detail and surprise. And it didn't need to be action-y per se. It was just really adventurous. Also, really, really quick joke. What do you get when you crap? When. When do you cross uh, an Ewok with Pac-Man? <laughs> I don't know. Ewok, waka waka, Ewok, waka waka. Oh boy! Dun, I see, see you get he, your, fa- he, your father's humor. Oh, <laughs> burn, burn! <laughs> that is funny. You know, um, there was this one time I was walking up to the stormtrooper in a bar, and he was all like, "This is now the joke show." And Go he ahead. and he was all, and he was all, and he was like. And I and he ordered something from the bar, and he said, and I asked the bartender, "Hey, what do you, 
hey, what did he order? And he said, oh, he's a real trooper. I'm cooking up a storm. Oh, oh boy. Oh, man. He does have my sense of humor. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, All right. I said, uh, uh, so, Kiefer. Don't if, step up my jokes. Yeah, Kiefer, if you, uh, if you had a don't favorite moment. Jokes. Yeah. If you had a favorite <laughs> oh, moment. Man. Oh, I think it was probably the first time that we saw the daggers that the one guy had the really oh, cool like yeah, the, yeah the i think villains. that because they're the first time that we've seen stuff like that they yeah. look pre- they're pretty much lightsaber daggers uh, it does look kind of like that which is pretty fascinating because we've never seen anything like that not, throughout not the entire star wars thing we've seen lightsaber whips we've seen light sa- lightsaber whips are only in the expanded universe and, and we've even and we've even seen god forsaken like lightning bolt sabers. Okay, maybe not the last one, but yeah. um, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. This is another new. This is a new type of saber for the universe Daggers. of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah they're, they're it's it's completely new. Yeah, that's kind of it, cool. It's not in the expanded series either. It's, it's yeah. in the original series. It's 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 um, what do you call it? It's canon. It's canon. That's right. Good. I'm glad you're learning that. I'm only I only uh, learned <laughs> that from game theories. So there you go. Go watch them. Yeah. So, uh, Em, you had a question for Kiefer. I did. So, little dude, was this what you expected? Um, I really expected a lot of it, but I didn't expect them to show any of the stuff that we've already seen before. Like, not the stuff about Bobo Fett getting eaten by the Sarlacc pet. Not anything about Bobo Fett, although they did mention him. And I sort of imagined that the guy who wanted to go to Tatooine wanted to become Obi-Wan Kenobi because he sort of looked like it. But then again, that wouldn't make any sense because we already knew his name. He uh, he thought and, that the uh, that Han Solo's mentor looked a little bit like Obi Wan. Oh yeah, and yeah, and he said he was going to Tatooine, so I was like, yeah, maybe there's a connection there. And then he died. Yeah. So no. Yeah. He, yeah. That, that, there were some really good moments there. Um, My favorite character. Yeah, go ahead. Would honestly probably be. I think I had three. My first was the pilot in the first time that we met the everybody the pilot the, the dude with the three the four or five arms the four arms no it's the four arms he had four arms and he was hilarious he was great he was awesome he was a really great he was a really funny character who felt like he knew a lot about the universe that they were in and he was and i almost felt that he should have became Han solo's mentor Although I kind of knew he had to die because, after all, who need who would be the pilot for the ship? Yeah, I know. Han Solo needed to be the pilot, right? I know they needed some way of tying up loose ends there, but I really wish he hadn't. So that died. was the first character. You said you had two other characters. Yeah, my two other characters were Han and uh, mate. No, it was the robot uh, Equal Rights. Oh, the Equal Rights robot. L L eleven. Yeah, L eleven. Yeah, the Equal Rights robot. Hey, can I get you anything, Sweet Pea? Equal rights? How about equal rights? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, she was good. She was yeah, good it was, character. It was actually, it was L, L337. My third favorite would probably be, ooh. <laughs> Darth Maul. Darth Maul was a really good character. All two minutes of him. That's awesome, bud. So anything else that you have to say about the movie before we uh, let you go? Um, did you have a favorite? Did you like the Millennium Falcon? Millennium Falcon was really good. I, I really like the storyline. The storyline was one of my favorite aspects of it. Okay. Although, what I really wish that 
they had act that had those cards in real life. Somebody's probably going to come out with them later. I bet you could week. buy the Sabat cards online somewhere. Yeah, they probably are selling them after they made the movie. Yeah. They they all, they usually sell like almost every single prop from the movie just so they can make a million more dollars. That's true. It's actually a little bit funny. It's like, hey, why don't we make a movie and sell everything we did? True. And people buy it because after all, we collect. Right? What if some it's called I, marketing, my friend? Yeah, yeah, I heard. Marketing. I heard. I heard somebody had a Batmobile that they actually took. It it, it was exactly like the one from the nineteen eighty movies, nineteen eighty six movies, and they actually used some of the real parts from the Batmobile engine in the movie. He bought all the parts, and now he only uses it when he goes to a special event or something. Imagine, I just, I can just imagine that guy showing up in this car being like, "Hey, baby, want to get in?" And then it's just like huge Batmobile, <laughs> and I'm just True. like. What? But, but why? Why? Yeah. No. Oh my stars! I know, I know. Why, well, oh, hey, Kiefer? Oh my moon! Kiefer, why don't you? Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you uh, say goodbye to the Sci-Fi Diner listeners? Okay, okay. <laughs> goodbye and good luck. This is Kiefer signing off. I'm single. I'm ready to mingle. Really? <laughs> <laughs> thank Drop you. the That's mic. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you got that, folks? He is single and ready to mingle. Oh God, I, I got it. All right. You have been listening to Kiefer's Corner on the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Kiefer, for sharing your thoughts on... The uh, Sci-Fi Diner podcast on, on uh, about the movie. So uh, let's talk, uh, Emma. Since you just got out of the movie, yeah. What was you, you're trying to trying to get it together there? Uh, but what was uh, your initial impressions of uh, just coming out of, of Solo and your initial thoughts on it? Um, it was. I, I sat down and I said out loud, "Please don't suck." Because I, so I'd heard the numbers and I heard some people saying, well, and I, I bought in, I, I was, you know how I feel about romance and sci-fi. It was almost, it was just right. Just the beginning. And then oh, I didn't realize that they were going to put um, Han into like, join the empire. There was, it was a lot. I didn't expect a lot of it. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I really did enjoy this new venture, this new storyline, you know, into the universe and new characters, new perspectives. And to see like a shiny, hopeful Han Solo. I remember he, I just kept thinking like, why is he so chipper? Why is he, this is just weird. He hasn't had his moment. He hasn't had his character shift moment. And, you know, you can, you can, I, I, He's such a scoundrel in the beginning of the of the original trilogy, and then he becomes the good guy, and then you realize he's always been the good guy. Right. And this movie shows that off, and that was really great. And I enjoyed going and getting you know, all almost all of it. Um, and then towards the end, it got a little like, well, it feels like they needed to just tie this up really, 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 really fast. And it got a little cheesy at the end. Um, a little cheesy. But uh, the Darth Maul thing threw me off. 
And actually, I kind of stopped paying attention to the movie because I was trying to figure out where in the timeline this movie fits. So I'm guessing this is before episode one. No, but no? I will get to that. Um, okay. Because I do have so, an an- I do have an answer for where it fits in the timeline then. So. Okay. Outside of that, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed myself. I had a good time. It was worth the time sitting in the theater. I went to the really good Dolby theater, so it sounded really good and looked really good. Um, it was it was more than I expected. I was very happy with it. But it got a little cheesy at the end. Miles, how about you? You you went and saw it not only once, but said, you know what? I need to go see this movie again. So uh, uh, your impressions after having seen this movie twice? Uh, I... Like M, I was a little concerned about the what the naysayers were saying. But then I saw other people, friends on Facebook, saying, uh, I enjoyed Solo. That is all. So I was like, okay, if, if they liked it, if a lot of people that I know liked it, I'll probably like it also. And I, I did enjoy it. I, I, I liked it. Um, I, I, I have read many of the Star Wars novels and ones that – do a lot of hands backstory. They can't include everything into from the novel to the movie, but they included a lot. I mean, if they, you know, took an outline, it's very similar, you know, almost a lot of the ways is the same outline of what they did, uh, to fill in hands backstory. They couldn't include everything cause it's only a two and a half hour movie, but I think what they, but, but they borrowed a lot of good stuff from the books and, um, incorporated into it. I, I, I try to catch what the Easter eggs, I, I think star Wars fans almost, they may not have to be familiar with the books, but maybe available with some of the other live action series, like, like star Wars rebels and, um, um, clone wars, because the, these new live action movies are borrowing or, or including some, some material f- from that into this movie. Into the, newer, into the newer movies. Um, that Nahan-Kira relationship didn't bother me. Like like M said, it was it was just right. It wasn't too much. Uh, I thought the, the Kira character, she was interesting. I, I suspect we could, if there's another movie, we might see her again. Um, I thought Woody Harrelson was great as Tobias Beckett. Oh yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I can't I can't see anybody else playing um, that character. Uh, I thought we saw a lot of physicality with Chewbacca. Uh, we really saw what he could do physically. I mean, just don't piss off Chewbacca. It will not end well. Like the moment where he's holding up the arms in the elevator? Yeah, we only heard uh, the, the, the possibility of that. Now we saw that. Yeah, he will actually do that. Yeah, Wookiee can rip off your arms, so. Yes. Because he made that statement, like Han says, you know, I saw, or he could rip the arms off of something or the other. Is that, isn't the line about, about Chewie? Yeah. And then is. we actually get to see he, him ripping the arm off the thing. Well, I think it's, isn't it in uh, New Hope when they're riding in the Falcon and he's playing C-3PO in that chess match and he has, says, don't piss off a Wookiee. He can tear your arms off. And then he leans down and says, R2, oh, he leans down to R2 and R2 says, R2 says to R2, let the Wookiee win. You know that. That's where it comes from. But yeah, uh, I thought I, I don't know how M felt, but the, the twist at the end, the, the Enfy's nest, I thought 
we, we just think they're just a rival gang. And in fact, they're part of the rebellion. I thought that was an interesting twist at the end. Um, I thought uh, Donald Glover did a great job as Lando Calrissian. So that was another thing this movie, I mean, movie did is we, we've seen younger actors play our heroes. It's not the first time we've seen that, but I think that was like a lot of, a lot of people's minds. Okay. Uh, Han Solo was made alive by uh, um, Harrison Ford and can somebody else pull this off? I thought the actor who did it, um, I'm not sure I pronounce his name correctly. Alden uh, Ehrenreich. Uh, I'm not familiar with his work, but I thought he did a good job. I was I, th- I thought he, he did a pretty good job of um, channeling um, Harrison Ford, but not but not not parroting him. Um, I, I thought Don Glover did did the same thing, but still, you know, just just portraying a, a younger Lando Calrissian. But uh, yeah, I keep talking about the movie, but I, I, I really liked it. You know, you, you mentioned uh, Lando. I think that, I mean, certainly the, the actor that played Han did a decent job. There's enough of Harrison Ford's swagger in, in what he prayed that made him believable as a young Han. But Lando, da- Danny Glover just nailed this. Donald Glover. Donald, sorry. Donald Glover just nailed Lando. It was like he was channeling Lando. Um, Danny Glover's like seventy-five years old. Well, I know it's true, um, <laughs> okay. but uh, it was it was just it was just phenomenal what he did to bring this character to life. Like I believed I was watching a young Lando. There was yeah. a little cheesiness to Lando, though. Like the whole, you know, he's got a, he's got a lot of capes. A Does lot have a lot of capes. And then his reaction, and I have to remember these guys are young. They're they're not the polished, seasoned, weathered veterans that we meet in A New Hope and blah 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 in that trilogy. So there were moments that I was like, oh my god, this is the bravado of youth, and it was annoying. But then it fit. It totally right, right. It did totally fit if you kept that in mind. But his reaction to the death of his robot was just. It was a little. Just a little like wow. It was he he clearly had um a loyalty to that to um L337. Clearly. And I don't want to think about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to think about what that loyalty means. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. Nope. Done. Move on. Move on. Okay. Well, my overall impression. So I saw the movie one time with Miles and Saturday, and we had a it was great. Theater was Pretty well filled. It wasn't packed. There were seats, but it was it was good. Um, so here are the things that I really liked about the movie when I walked away. I love seeing Solo on Corellia because we always heard about Solo was from Corellian. This is his Corellian background, and we got to see that. And when he escaped Corellia, we got to see his signature Millennium Falcon move when that little car he was driving, where he's trying to go through the narrow slits in the wall. And so I thought that was kind of cute. Um, I did feel that when he went to the Imperial Academy, that that was just blown over. Like he entered and then and he entered as a pilot and then suddenly he's doing grunt work three years later. And we don't understand how he got, how he pissed off someone in flight school to get the grunt work. 
And I felt like that was missing. Like that's like a deleted scene probably in the cutting floor somewhere. And I wanted that. They and, did resolve it though. Cause he has a line where he says, I got, you know, I was on my way to being a pilot and then I spoke my mind. Yeah, they did. They did. But I felt like I wanted to see it. So that was, maybe that's just okay. me, but I just, me, I, I loved him meeting Chewie and the way that transpired, how Chewie was his executioner. And, but because he could speak Wookiee and they end up, busting out of there and i think that's fantastic uh, i love the uh the heist scene where they were trying to you know heist the train heist uh we're trying to boost the fuel and uh end up you know running into the pirates that we find out are actually kind of maybe the preliminary rebels um, i thought that was cool um i loved seeing vision as the villain <laughs> and i kept saying look it's vision but he did it. Paul Bettany, amazing. He actor. did an amazing job, didn't he? I believed him as the villain. Believed him as the villain. I loved that. Um, we talked about Lando and the Sabacc game. Uh, I love the fact that we got to see the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs. You know, that's always kind of the quintessential Han line. Yeah, but we found out that he rounded down. Yeah, we don't know how, so how fast did he actually do it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe uh, a little bit more than 12 parsecs, but he rounded down. But that was funny. Um, also, uh, I loved the final scene between him and um, the villain when he's giving the villain the fuel and the villain thinks that this is actually the fake fuel and it's actually the real fuel. That whole thing was beautifully orchestrated by Han. The whole, all that, all, all that double crossing. Oh, it was beautiful. Oh, it's super sneaky. It, was it super, is. Super sneaky. It is. And then, then we finally got to see Han shoot first. So I'm just saying he shot first. So And we learned how Han got his name. Yeah, actually, yeah, we did. Yeah, the Imperial recruiter gave it to him. <laughs> so we got to see Maul. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later on, but I love seeing Maul there. Um I like the references to Jabba, the villain on ta- the the um crime boss on on Tatooine. And um, I, too, like the female droid. Uh, we've talked about her before. And this whole allusion to Crimson Dawn, that's very much an expanded universe thing. And so it's great to see them bringing that into the actual. So those are my thoughts, positive thoughts that I had about the movie. I just loved the movie. I loved many, many aspects of it. Um, I kind of wanted to see Fett. I kind of wanted to see Jabba. But. Who knows? Maybe in the sequel to this, if they make one. Yeah, I think it's got sequel potential. Well, you know, they announced there. There's three more. There's another little trilogy that'll come out, right? Of the universe, right? So, who knows which part, where in the timeline that is? And I have a theory about because I think that one of the things that Darth Maul and um, Han's girlfriend, whose name I can't remember right now. Kira. Kira, Kira, thank you. That the Kira and Darth Maul set up is for a storyline to be developed between them and potentially involving Han. Like you could definitely do a trilogy of movies based on just the Maul character and uh, and Kira kind of being kind of like a second in command henchman. I mean, Disney's been talking about doing non central characters. You don't need Han mm-hmm. Solo to do a movie with Maul and Kira. They, these are some like the non Skywalker line that you're able to kind of play with maybe. So who knows? But who would be the good, who would be the good guy though? 
Well, I, I mean, I suppose you could put a young solo in there, but there's other characters. I mean, we have we have Ezra from Rebels. Okay. Uh, we could bring Ezra in as a non-canon character. I mean, he was alive at the end of Rebels, right? I didn't watch the last episode of Rebels, so I, I can't speak to that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, but uh, I, I, would, I would hope there's – I think there's more potential, more storytelling with this. Mm, I agree. So, uh, Emma, I want to answer your question as far as when this story takes place. It's driving me crazy. There is a like, great – I literally don't remember a good five minutes of the movie because that's all I could think about. Yeah, well, like, they don't. <laughs> they don't tell. Well, well the Thrillist.com um, shares this, what they call the solo Star Wars timeline. And they place it, of course, after Revenge of the Sith and then, of course, before Rogue One. has to be between those two. Novelizations tell that Han is no more than 10 years older than Luke, so we know that that gives us a little bit of context. Um, the fact that Maul's in here and Darth Maul's in here pins Solo in 19 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is when the Phantom Menace took place, and two years before the Battle of Yavin, so that's A New Hope, um, two years before that battle, which, of course, is when Maul, spoiler alert, dies again in the Rebels series. So we know that it has to happen in that timeline, between 19, to tw- between 19 years before New Hope and two years before New Hope. Parkin and Thrawn novels, which tie into Rebels, occur between 14 years before the Battle of Yavin and 11 years before the Battle of Yavin. So that narrows it down to a three-year window. One more thing yet. Chewie is 190 years old, right? In a, in a young adult tie-in novel, Chewie was born 180 years before the Clone Wars, which occurred in 22 years before the Battle of Yavin. That means that Solo takes place 12 years before the Battle of Yavin. So that's kind of where it's at. That doesn't make sense, though. What do you mean? Because Maul dies in um, Phantom Menace. Menace. Yeah, but in the... In the Clone Wars and in the Rebels series, he was brought back. He's half a machine now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, and know the, that you'll, you'll, you'll see him stand up or anything like that, but he's he's half a machine. He's in the Clone Wars, and then in Rebels, he was an integral villain in Rebels. He's no longer Sith because he's you know he's no longer an apprentice, but but he is still Maul. He's still force sensitive. So, yeah, so you had to be aware of what happened in the Clone Wars and the Rebels series to really say, okay, why is Maul here and what does that mean? So, so does someone have to be aware or do we just find – you think we're going to find out in the Boba Fett movie? I think that we're going to encounter – I don't think they dropped Maul in here for the sake of just giving us eye candy. And I don't think they just dropped him in for the people that watch Clone Wars and Rebels, although those people have more of a context. I believe they're going to time into the greater universe. I think that's part of my reasoning why I think that this trilogy of movies potentially could be centered around Maul in some way. Don't know that. But you aren't going to just introduce this character and you aren't just going to, you know, introduce Kira and have her go off to the great beyond to meet Maul without having, right. having some significance to that. Right. It just it, it drove me bonkers. Yeah, it I did. didn't know about, the, it, about him being reanimated. So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can read it. They, they go into a lot more detail on that. But basically they're saying this movie takes place 12 years before the Battle of Yavin or about 12 years before Han meets Luke. Got it. So that's what they're saying. So, Which puts it about um, 
I don't know where I don't know where uh, when Revenge of the Sith happens in that timeline, but anyways, that gives you a little bit of an idea. So the timeline, the way they're as I'm digging through while you're talking, it's Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace at 32 years before Battle of Yah, y- whatever, Yavin, Yamin, yeah. Yahweh, yeah. one of those. Okay, so it's thirty at thirty-two years before that's Phantom Menace. Twenty-two years before is Attack of the Clones. Nineteen years before is Revenge of the Sith. Twelve years before is Solo, and then um, uh, weeks before is uh... Ground Zero. Yeah, Ground Zero is Rogue One, and then directly, like directly connected to Star Hope. Wars: A New Hope. Yeah, so that's kind of the way. That's the context of it. Okay, I. Don't like being shaken like that because now I know I missed a bunch of the movie. <laughs> now you got to go back and watch it again, Em. I am. I. I, I think I am going to go see it again. I, I'm definitely. I've already pre-ordered it, um, so I'll get a copy of it at some point. But yeah. Little note while we're on while we're talking about Darth Maul, Ray Park, of course, reprised his role as as Darth Maul. So the same actor that played him in Phantom Menace played him here. Although he was voiced by Sam Witwer, who has voiced him in the animated series. And, of yeah. course, we've interviewed him on the show numerous times, twice. And so that was kind of cool to hear. So, Yeah, so that's kind of uh, cool. But did you catch Tarful in the movie? Who's Tarful? Tarful is the Wookiee that appeared in Revenge of the Sith in the Battle of Kashyyyk. Oh, pro- I did not because I have done my best to try and forget a lot of that movie. Yeah, but uh, but anyways, he appears in this movie when the when Chewbacca is breaking out the other Wookies. Is he the one that Chewbacca like um, at the end? He's like, "Come with me," and Chewbacca's like, "No, I'm going with these dudes." And then they have their little like moment together, and then they break apart. Yeah, you got it. Got that's it. him. Okay. Yeah, so that's Tarful, and so he's the only other name Wookie I think that was in the movie that I know of. Mm. You got to give this movie props for referencing lots of continuity. Oh, there is. There is. They actually, so here's the thing. They actually are said to make the prequels more relevant. This movie is, is you know, the fact that they, Rogue One, but it's even before Rogue One, this movie ties the prequels into the current universe a little bit more. Not I that, did enjoy seeing Warwick Davis. I jumped in my chair. Oh, I I was so excited. And then, um, so I went with a bunch of coworkers and he asked me why I was so excited. And I said, that's Warwick. He's been in like each of the trilogies. He was a, he was a, he was like a baby. He was just a little kid in, and as a, as, uh, as what's his name? That one Ewok. In wicked? Yeah. He was wicked. He was just a little boy. Yep. And now like he's in ever, I love seeing him. It makes me so joyful. And then if it's a Ron Howard movie, you know, you're going to get Clint Howard without a doubt. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. He was great in that. I didn't realize that Ron had direct. I'd forgotten that Ron had directed this. And then I saw Clint in the BattleBots arena and I said, oh, yeah, Ron directed this. <laughs> <laughs> that is and that's funny. It's just one of those one of those things you just expect out of a Howard movie. What do you think of? of uh, is it Enfys Nest? The actor they played the uh, the head of the pirates. The young lady. Yes, she was amazing. She's gorgeous. She is, 
and uncharacteristically I, so. You don't expect it, but she is. She's beautiful, and she. I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, I love that she was a kid that she took up her mother's mantle and pushed forward, and uh, just amazing, amazing. And she's been in like she's only been acting. How old is she? She's wee. She's only been in like a couple of things. There isn't even a isn't even a birth date. She's so young. Um, I loved how much how young she was, but then also how mature she was inside. She knew she knew right and wrong, and she knew what to do. And even at her age, which meant at a very young age, that um, as her mother wore the mask, she learned what she needed to do to protect her people. And right. to align everyone together. You know, I, what I like about that is we kind of see, we saw, we kind of see in Han that he's not just a smuggler and he's not just, you know, looking out for himself. That you see the spot that, just like you saw in A New Hope, the Han that doesn't, not just in it for the money. Because he could be, but there's, there's, there, there's a compassion that Han has that you see demonstrated that, that you know that that she sways Han when he explains how these people were used and kind of abused by the Empire, Crimson Dawn, who was working for the Empire. Yeah, Han, Han has layers in this movie. He does, he does, and I like how this too is kind of the dawn of the rebellion. Like this, perhaps, is like the beginning factions of the rebellion, and uh, we see that kind of maybe in these pirates that they're here to fight the Empire, fight Crimson Dawn, but in the process, they're fighting the Empire. So, Crimson Dawn, is that something referred to in the books at all? Or in it is. New- this, is the first, this is the first reference that I remember of it being in the movies, but it is alluded to in many novelizations, and there's been novelizations that have been centered around Crimson Dawn being the bad guy. But this is the first time we've seen it as a part of the movies, and uh, it, might have, it might have been referenced in Rebels. I don't remember. I didn't watch all of the Rebels, so... I, I, there were there were theories out there that some believe that that Enfys Nest is actually Ray's mother. We're back to this story again, but <laughs> and they said that it's Ray's mother because uh, she has kind of the same accent. The timing's right, her age is right, and her fighting skills echo Ray's. Could be interesting. Does it have to be? No, I liked that Ray was just special <laughs> and like out probably of not where. That everybody like, well, of course she's amazing because she's so and so's daughter, or of course she's amazing because so and so raised her. Like, I like to think that Ray is a is a is a summation of what she's learned and gleaned, and she's and, her own person. And, right, and like at the at the end of the you know at the end of the last Jedi, the little kid who's just cleaning up the poop uses the force like it could be it's within us all it doesn't belong like all of that that ability to be brave not that i don't like the idea and i love when something comes around from full circle but it did make me very happy the whole theme of um of like anybody anybody can be special so that's that's true it is true miles what did you think of that theory i i i have trouble believing that um, Ray's parents are just nameless junk junk dealers or whatever. 
I, I, I still think there's, she comes from something. Right. The maybe, question maybe is not. what? Just, just, yeah. What question is from where, where does she come from? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we all come from something. Well, that's true. And, and even if they're just junk dealers, they are significant junk dealers. <laughs> I just, I love, I always loved it as a kid that like, I was, it, it, I take it personally because like my parents were incredibly interesting people to me, but they were just, you know, average people. And I find myself to be not average at all and kind of different and special for who I am. And not because, you know, you know, I, I'm overly dramatic because my mother used to be uh, an actress in vaudeville or something like that. I just, I like that, that my weirdness comes as a singularity and I love that Ray comes as a singularity, you know, as something special that sparks in the universe for a while and then encourages others so I, I do I do love the idea of a ship, but I also just want her to be uh, a singular moment in time and and own her own specialness. Well, regardless, she is she is unique and she does not remember her family. That does make her a singularity in a lot of ways. Like she's learned, she survived in her own, and she hasn't had the parentage. And even if they are blood parents that are somehow significant, they've had very little impact on her that we hmm. know of. That we know of. Right. One other thing, you know, we talked about maybe a Maul and Kira movie, maybe. And I think that that the Enfys Ness would make a good, good guy, good girl in that movie. Yeah, she she she's a very interesting because she's she's already she's already fighting Crimson Dawn. Right. That, 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 That could be that could be a protagonist there. Yeah. Her her and her gang of rebels. By the way, Kira, I don't want to talk about Kira a little bit. Do you know that Lucas, or when, so Lucas, I didn't realize this until I was doing some reading today, that Lucas penned the original version of The Force Awakens, right? And that in the original script before Disney, Disney bought it and changed it, Lucas' original name for Ray was Kira. Hmm. And I didn't know that. I thought that was kind of a nice homage maybe to the creator of Star Wars by naming him. Or maybe suggesting that Kira is Ray's mother. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So what else do you want to talk about regarding this uh, movie? We have some listener feedback that we can share, but we can do that a little bit later. I thought it was great seeing the Millennium Falcon and seeing it at at this stage of its life. Seeing it beat the shit. Is that what you're saying? Well, (laughs) no, well, no, before, before, before it was beat up. Oh, it it looked, it looked pretty until Han got a hold of it. I mean, it looked like a sports car, you know, <laughs> until, until, yeah, Han, uh, you know, got it, got it off of, uh, um, Kessel, but, um, but I, no, I just thought it was cool. I was just, I mean, it was, it, it was gorgeous on the outside. It was gorgeous on the inside. Oh, it was beautiful. Uh, and just, but also just seeing even that had a yeah, growth and development, I should say. I mean, little things like, the laser guns, uh, the, 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 the cannons he had on, on the ship, they only started out as single cannons, but by the time Han Solo gets it, they're quad cannons. I mean, the, the interiors look gorgeous. I just, I just thought the Falcon looked look, look, look great in this movie. I agree. And I kept thinking after they crashed her, uh, I kept thinking about the Han's line in um, A New Hope. I made a lot of 
special modifications myself. Like just, I could just keep hearing that in my head every time something yeah. broke or yeah. blown off. Well, even the even the escape pod that's between the front front uh, two spires and it is, uh, you know, the fact that they have a huge escape pod on it, I thought was really cool. And I didn't, you know, you just don't realize that in the original version of it. Yeah. Well, from what I understand, they they tried to go back to the original conceptual drawings for the Falcon. And took some inspiration from that when they were making the ship for this movie. Yeah. So yeah, that that's what they were doing. We well, you know, a little note in that in Revenge of the Sith, after they after Anakin crashes the Emperor's ship onto onto Coruscant, mm-hmm. um, and we pan out over the Senate, you can see what looks like the Millennium Falcon docking in one of the scenes. And it does not have the escape pod on it. Now, granted, it may not have been Han's ship. Obviously, wasn't. Uh, there are probably many Corellian uh, cruisers or the what the the thirteen the YT thirteen hundreds out there. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there's not this is, Han doesn't have the only one. So it's quite possible there was another. But it was kind of a interesting thing if that was supposed to be Han's ship. Obviously, this distorts it out of the timeline. So. Orlando's ship, I guess, at that point. Well, I yeah. mentioned his dad had worked on them. So I'm I'm presuming there was a fleet. Yeah, yeah, and that's true. You know, Forgot about fleet that. of trucks, fleet of cars. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's, I mean, there were, there were many of these around. But uh, it did appear in one of the prequel trilogies of the, the third movie. It appears briefly in one of the scenes. It's definitely the signature Han ship, no doubt. Mm-hmm. But I really, Mm -hmm. you guys, both of you just mentioned, I mean, the Millennium Falcon is a character in its own right. The way it it develops, changes, is modified. Even when we see it in The Force Awakens, there's like a, it's like a blood, it's like seeing C-3PO or R2-D2 who are notably absent in this movie. I'm so glad they were. Yeah. Well, they, they, they're very upset if they were going to show up. Well, then there's no reason for it because he don't, they don't play into Han's universe until A New Hope. Exactly. So you didn't need to throw him in just for the sake of throwing him in. They made sense. They made sense throwing him into like Rogue One because you see him there at the end when we're on the Tantive Four. You know, you need to have him there because that's kind of connects the movie, but certainly not major players. I, I do want to throw out, I love Amelia Clark. I think she's a great actress. I am so ingrained in Game of Thrones. It was really hard for me to get lost in the character of Kira because all I could see was was um, Khaleesi. And I couldn't, I couldn't get her out of my head. In the beginning, when she was uh, young Kira, that wasn't hard to... That was, they did a really good job with the makeup and the, and the hair. And she was just her youthful being. and was lovely but there was something like towards the end when she when we find her again and she's all grown up and she's you know it, there's just something about her that that i kept thinking she's you know that's what or that's what happens when you mess with khaleesi <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny it, it's- whereas like with with paul with uh with paul bettany no so with him 
I got lost immediately in him. There was, I don't know if maybe the effects makeup, but I've seen him in a lot of stuff. Right. And I wonder if it's because my wheelhouse with Emily is that she's, um, because I've only really seen her as Khaleesi. Boom. Now, was that because she was using her British accent? If she maybe would not have used a British accent, would that have, uh, Nope. Okay. No, I thought about that. It was, there was a lot of her tone and the way she carried herself. I mean, she wasn't a murderous woman with dragons, but, um, there was just something I couldn't let go of. And so maybe on the second viewing, um, I'll, I can get lost in that. And then Sandy Newton, who played Val, or Tandy Newton, excuse me, she, I just finished watching like two episodes of Westworld last night. And, you know, she's kind of, she's a murderous robot or a semi-murderous robot. So that was seeing her, it took a minute for me to, to, to get lost in her too, because it was so fresh in my mind. But she's another great one. And I do want to. Uh, the actress who plays uh, L337. Right. She's she's done a lot of British television, so nobody knows who this woman is. And I have seen her in a couple of things, and I love her. I love how dark she can be. I love that um, as soon as she started with this character and, you know, down with the tyranny kind of. Oh, that I, was fantastic. I, I, I love I'm so glad and so happy to like look it up and see. Oh my god, it's her! This is great! This is amazing! She has a show on Amazon called Fleabag, which is a heartstring yanker that is amazing. But she's so funny and so good. And I'm I'm pretty sure they let her do what um, Alan today did and just let her go to town and have fun with it. Wow, it was she, pretty clear. She did a she did a great job. The whole. Robot revolution. She started there. It was just fantastic. Well, I thought it was funny when she, she was kind of having girl talk with Kira about, uh, Oh yes. What, you know, Lando, you know, having the hots for her and just, it would never work. <laughs> right. Right. How would that work? Oh, it works. Oh, okay. <laughs> that that was very good. Creepy, but good. So. Just, it's different. Yeah, definitely. I- um, so what else did you want to talk about in the movie here? We talked about how it referenced other, um, the other, other series, some of the books. I, I, I just, I remember um, when the recruiter says to Han, he's going to send him to the Imperial Academy on Carida. That's a reference from the books. Um, when Han refers to Falcon as a YT-1300, that was, again, from the books. Um, I guess it's never referenced in the actual movies ever. No, I don't, yeah, I don't remember in the live action. The Thandie uh, Newton's character, it, it, when she's complaining about taking on Han and, and, and uh, Chewbacca, she said, well, we get these other people. We get Bosk. Well, Bosk was a um, bounty hunter um, that we, we see. In the, you know, he makes an appearance in The Empire Strikes Back. I remember having his action figure. He was this reptilian figure. Yeah. Uh, and when when you see Han and and Kira drive you know driving through the shipyard, I'm the second viewing. I remember seeing like these shield generators that that are on top of those Imperial star destroyers. And when they drive by another section, 
there's like these these TIE fighters that are in various stages of construction. So I thought that was cool, just showing, you know, uh, Corellia, the, the whole ship, the, the shipyard, shipbuilding um, thing it had going. Yeah, absolutely. You want to hear something yeah. funny about that actress I was talking about? Go ahead. When she went to audition, she didn't know what a droid was. <laughs> that is funny. Apparently, I just there. She was on the Graham Norton show, and she said, "I was going to audition, and I thought this character is amazing. She's a revolutionary. She's cool, and the dialogue is amazing. But it, but it kind of just said one stage direction, droid. So I was like, droid, droid." Is as she explained on the Graham Norton show, and I googled droid, and then nothing much came up. Weirdly, just pictures, and it wasn't explicit that it's a robot. So when she went to the audition, like she uh, and oh here it is, she asked her cab driver on the way to the audition, and he didn't know. And then he called his family, and they didn't know. So she decided to play the character as human as possible, like as a human, because most of the time when you audition. It's a human. Um, and then she was asked to uh, perform a bit more droidy. And she finally realized, oh, it's an effing robot. <laughs> that is funny. No idea. This is this is joyful to me. Like the pool of talent that they went to was it's very it's very a new Hopi to me. It's very like, let's find let's not. We've got a couple of cornerstone people. But let's find the character, not the actor. Yeah, absolutely. And they did such a good job. They did. They did. So, you know, as we wrap up our own thoughts and get to some listener feedback here, uh, where would you? How how would you rate this movie? I mean, where do where do you, where do you after watching it? Uh, you just finished watching it, Emma Miles. You've seen it twice. You're going to go see it a third time this weekend. And um, where are you guys? How are you guys feeling about it? Where, how would you rate this? Ah, good. What is it? I give it four out of five droids. Out of five droids, I like that. I would actually, M. I'm going to piggyback. I'm going to give it four out of five droids too. It's a very good Star Wars movie. Um, I don't. I don't know that it's the best. It's certainly not the worst, and I I like it. I was. It was a good. I enjoyed it. I was lost in it. I'll. I'll give it four. Four canisters. Of coaxium, out of five, out of, out of five. Okay, good. So we're we're in agreement here. Mm-hmm. Agreement. I just want to pick something. I just want to give find something else to call it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But no, I, I I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, I, I I was willing to see it again, and I'm probably willing to see it a, a third time soon. But uh, I thought it did a good job of expanding the universe. I thought it did a good job of connecting the universe, and just being a fun ride. Uh, through the whole thing. Um, I think I like Rogue One a little bit better, but that's not a I shot against this film. No, I, I, just a different I, film. I did, yeah. Well, let's hear from... Go ahead, M. Oh, one thing I want to point out, like going back to casting like the character and not just finding an actor. So I've seen... I just realized as I dig through, I knew who... I've, I've heard the name Alden uh, Enric, en, Enric I think that's how you pronounce it. I knew I'd seen him somewhere. He's incredible. He's a young man. And they did, but with the long hair and the clothes and a little bit of the scruffy, he's a little scruffy looking. He he looks like a man. Like he looks like his last few films, he just I'm looking through these pictures. 
he's just this super young cherubic kind of well chiseled young man face and then in an instant he's Han Solo he they just I didn't realize just how much how like perfect it was that's all I'm just kind of just going on and on because I I really enjoyed his his portrayal of of I like his Han Solo yeah absolutely again as you said, it it was well cast. I there was there wasn't anyone that I looked at and said, "Oh man, they really should have picked someone else." I really enjoyed the casting in this movie. So we did. We got a voicemail in from Jen M from New York. It's been a long time since we heard from her, but she is writing in to tell us about the solo movie that she went to see. So uh, welcome back, M. Not M. Jen M. I should say from New York. So. Hi guys at the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, this is Jen from Long Island, New York, calling in about my review for the new solo Star Wars movie that just came out recently, and I finally got to see it last night about 7 o'clock. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. I, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. I thought Ron Howard did a good job. My only problem with it was that it was very dark visually. I mean, it was hard for me to see their faces. I mean, although my eyes are bad in general, I probably should try to get closer seats next time. Although I was pretty lucky enough to get the seats that I got this time. I got in the back of the theater, and we actually had a guy who started snoring. Seriously, I was just like, oh my god. I'm like, my friend and I were just stare, like, staring in his general direction like, really dude? I was looking forward to see, enjoying this movie, and I kept telling my friend to just ignore him. It's his last that he paid all this money to see a movie and only to fall asleep during it. I was just like, jerk. I'm like, <laughs> although I'll admit, there were a few slow moments, I feel like more in the beginning of the movie. I mean, it, it was always hard, I'm sure, to try to like add new characters who you know nothing really about yet. You know, although I really liked a lot of the new characters, I thought they were pretty enjoyable and interesting. I was just really excited to see the new young Han Solo. I thought he did a pretty good job, and I thought he was pretty cute, too. Yeah. And, you know, it had a good likeness to Harrison Ford as well. I mean, and I also loved seeing Chewbacca and Danny Glover as Lando, and even the Millennium Falcon. They were the best parts for me. And I figured up until recently, I felt like a disgruntled Star Wars fan a little bit there. Only because I just don't appreciate it when the actors themselves don't appreciate what made them basically pretty much. I mean, like, they didn't learn from William Shatner when he wrote a book once called Get a Life. They never learned Don't Bite the Hand That Feeds You. I mean, that Harrison Ford himself had said he had wanted Han Solo to die. I mean, that he never liked the character. That he probably wanted him to die since, probably since, like, Return of the Jedi. And that really hurt me. Because Harrison Ford was always my, like, favorite actor growing up. And now he's just become, like, grumpy old man. I'm like, did I say that out loud? I'm like, (laughs) I wasn't crazy about some of the directions that the new movies were going into. I mean, it was just the whole thing with Luke Skywalker. I'm like, when he said he wanted the Jedi to end, I was just like, what the heck? You know, what is that? You know, but he kept protecting the books of the Jedi. Don't you think you're contradicting yourself a little bit there? I'm like, that was the only thing that bothered me, you know, the most about Star Wars, as much as I loved it. You know, I also felt bitter about how they always killed off a lot of their great characters. I mean, they kept killing off all the Jedi. I mean, did they think they were going to have anybody left, you know, to do these kind of movies with for? Um, like, you know, so that took me a little while to get over that part a little bit. But I was just ready for the new guy. 
And, you know, I feel like this is a pretty good way for them to keep the franchise going. Plus, I kind of like some of the new leading ladies in it as well. You know, and I also spotted some very enjoyable Easter eggs in the movie as well. Hopefully, I didn't give away too much, like, a spoiler or anything. So, till then, bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Jen, for uh, sharing your thoughts about Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, Miles, M, any thoughts on things that she said? Oh, a lot. Um, I feel sorry for the guy who fell asleep during the movie. He must have been really tired. I, yeah. I, there's no way I would have slept through it. But um, I, I think, I mean, she, she made some reference to, you know, some, some of these people not possibly biting the hand that feeds them. And, and, I, and I see that. I think Harrison Ford had a change of heart when they were doing um, Force Awakens because I, I saw him doing more things to promote the movie and he seemed – he seemed enthusiastic. He seemed happy with it. I mean, then, and he did get his good death scene uh, at the end. Um, but so ho- hopefully, you know, it, you know, I, I wouldn't be too discouraged there. I think, I think, I think Harrison Ford probably embraced it more towards the end. Maybe, maybe he didn't for a while, <laughs> but I think he did now. Um, your thoughts. There was a time where he got where Harrison Ford just constantly bombarded with, what do you think Han would do this? What do you think Han would do that? And I could see him being like, well, I just wish you were dead because I'm kind of done. Kind of yeah. um, in, in the same vein of, you know, um, Leonard Nimoy and Spock. There was a point where he just wanted nothing to do with it anymore. He was done. He even wrote a book. I am not Spock. And then later on, like, um, like Miles said, there's a there's a point where he he does embrace and just like Leonard Nimoy, I am Spock who breaks that book. Um, but sometimes with franchises, you have to thin it out. You have to reset and create something new. You have to let it you have to you have to let it burn so that something new can come from the ashes. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I, and I, and I hear what Jen, Jen's saying here. I mean, it's hard when, you know, the people that you've grown up with and loved, like, like Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and their characters are being sacrificed in the future. And I, and I understand that there's a sense of loss there and maybe disappointment that we aren't going to see these actors in the future. Right. Or at least that we know of. Um, and I know there are ways of bringing it back, but it's not the same as having them a part of the central storyline. Right. So, so I, so I get that. Um, I want to talk a little bit. She talked about how the, the movie was dark visually. I just didn't pick that up. It did. Do you know kind of what she's referencing? Yeah. I, I remember hearing her say that too. And I'm trying to remember, uh, maybe, maybe something to with the theater. She saw it. And I, well, I thought the light so, was good. Where... Certainly when they went, when they, when they did the Kessel run, I mean, that's dark. It's dark on Corellia. I mean, I, I guess I can see some of that. It could be too. Like, did she watch it in 3D? I don't know. She didn't say. Or in real D? Yeah, that can that can change the way. That can definitely mess with the way things look. But um, I remember the first in the first like first act where he's on Corellia. It's dark because we learn that some of those creatures can't handle the sunlight. Oh yeah. Um, they just bursted into flames. <laughs> um, I also thought it was interesting. She thought that there were points in the movie at the beginning that were a bit slow for her. 
I don't know that I would have said the pacing was off. Nothing felt like it was really dragging for me as I watched the movie. I was just lost in the story and seeing the the rich visual history we were getting of Han. Mm. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what she would think was dragging you either. She can always call in and let us know. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, but we do appreciate Jen. We do appreciate you calling in and giving us your thoughts. You know, it has to be hard. I wanted to say one more thing. It has to be hard as an actor to be pinned into a character when you've done so many other movies and people keep asking you about the one character that you've done. And so I get, oh, yeah. I, I get that. I get that why someone would say, you know what? I'm done with this. At the same time, there's also a sense, I think, an honor. I think that, that people revere your work so much that they align you with that. Actor, but I don't know. Who right. am I? I'm not an actor. So... Well, Miles, do you want to scroll down to the bottom and uh, read the, the, the email that we got from, or the, the message we got from Chris Wilson? Read that yes. down there under listener thoughts. Um, I love this movie. It was a lot of fun. It felt like a Star Wars movie from the beginning and end. While it doesn't have the gravitas of The Last Jedi, it also didn't have a director trying to do his best to ruin Star Wars. Sorry, rant over. It gave us a little bit of a wider view of that universe. I love the character interactions, and it was nice to see how Han and Chewie met. I also feel if the actor playing uh, Lando Calrissian was outstanding, I would love to see you. you, I would love to see a spinoff of this story. I felt they also they also played a lot of uh, played played a lot of fan service. Sometimes I felt a little bit too too far with that, but it was all good. Fun trying to spot all those over, overall. I felt added to the Star Wars universe, and we are better for, for it being. Thank, thank you for that. Um, the fan service, when he said that, I, I instantly thought of the one line we didn't talk about is, Han says, I have a good feeling about this. I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was funny. The, when Lando says, I hate you, and, and Han says, I know. <laughs> That's, That's good a too. great I line. I was the only one who howled in the theater. That made me laugh so hard. Oh, that's a good line. You get to see how they're such good swindlers and scoundrels. It was great. Uh, but just like that little that little hearken to Empire made me very happy. Oh yeah, that was beautiful. What beautiful, beautiful. But well, Chris, I'm glad that you enjoyed the movie. You know, and we had some other thoughts. Jim Arrowwood said that he enjoyed the movie immensely. Um Scott Fisher said the movie was good. I wish the internet trolls would just shut up. So, and then uh, Matt Matt Mather said in response to seeing Darth Maul because Darth Maul is one of his favorite characters of all time. He said that was the best two minutes of the movie. <laughs> Again, but he's a huge fan of Darth Maul. But but yeah, so I mean, there's been I think there was like one or two people on the Sci-Fi Diner Facebook page that were, they weren't real thrilled with it. I know our uh, our friends over at the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast, they were on the show years ago. They actually despised the movie. But I, I in the end, the, the the news I'm hearing, Dave Sellers, we, we had a half an hour conversation this morning about the movie, and he just absolutely loved it. Lisa Mayo loved it. These are people I work with. And overall, I think the response has been pretty uh, overwhelmingly positive. At least that's what I've been hearing. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think. I mean, you can't make everybody happy, but but I'm just surprised whenever I hear negativity towards it from anywhere. Um, have have you what you've been hearing? Has that been 
positive overall? So, so I, I, people at work on Friday who very purposefully said, so I'm not really hearing anything good, like just to be jerks about it. And I know that things were difficult. Um, I know that they weren't making enough money. I know that like it's, you know, it's not going to be perfect. And I wasn't really expecting it to be. It was just a matter of like figuring it out. Like just didn't, okay, this is, they're going to, they want to start something new. They want to spread the universe out both into the past and into the future. Let's see where this is going to go. So I, I, I can see where people could be trolly, but I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I think that's good. We, we definitely gave this movie a good review. If you are listening, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook page or on the Twitter. We would love to hear your thought. Your thoughts about this movie it is well worth it. I will definitely see it again. Maybe not in theaters, but I will definitely watch it again. Maybe like M, I might pre-order the movie. It's available for $19.99 on iTunes. There you go. And you can have it. <laughs> yeah. And Miles, you said you're seeing it this weekend again. So I, I probably will see it again this weekend, yeah. Very good. Well, I think that's about it. Anything else we need to say before we go out of the show? No, I think we all like the movie pretty much. So one more thing. Our next show, we are going to be switching franchises. We're going to be doing the fourth movie in the Star Trek franchise, The Voyage Home. We will have um, Mary Fay, a Star Trek writer, an author that we're going to do an interview, and she's going to be on helping us review the podcast. M, we have another girl on the show again. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she'll be on uh, helping us review the show, and she's stoked about that. So that'll be in two weeks. So we'd love to hear your comments about that. Again, you can send it to all the places I told you to send your thoughts on Solo, a Star Wars movie. And uh, I believe that's it. Is there anything else I'm missing, guys? No, I think we got it. Awesome. Well, very good. Well, why don't you take us out of the show, Miles? Okay. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. Do your dailies. If you've enjoyed the conversation, the owners of this establishment would love to hear from you. Send your comments and feedback to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com or join our Facebook page at facebook.com slash sci-fi diner.